The spirit of Jesus Christ is in this building right now. I, I could not have chosen better songs. I could not. Um, and this is going to become very apparent to you as the sermon progresses. You throw the first slide up there, please. Uh, this is not going to be an easy sermon for me. I, I mentioned to you before that I preach, not teach, because I want to reach your heart. I don't necessarily want to change your mind. But this sermon hits my heart even before I give it. I've had a tough morning just waiting for this sermon. Last Thursday was my 70th birthday. So last weekend, just... Oh, don't applaud yet. You know what they say, when they applaud when you start, that's hope. When they applaud when you're preaching, that's grace. And when they applaud when you're done, that's mercy. (laughs) This last weekend, just about my whole family got together to celebrate. It was a wonderful time, a really wonderful time. But my gift was something that was just for Diane and I, both of us. It's a grandchildren blanket. 18 reasons to be glad that you were a grandparent, and it has all 18 kids with the with their names on it. Uh, I sat there with Diane, and I said, honey, look around the room. Look at our kids. Look at their spouses. Look at our 18 grandchildren. Look at our friends. Can you believe that just the two of us getting together all those years ago has resulted in all this? And the reason this hits me so hard is my topic this morning is the transforming power of forgiveness. Because I will tell you that without forgiveness, I wouldn't be up here. Without forgiveness, I would have ended up as far away from church and as fast as my legs could carry me. Without forgiveness, I wouldn't have married who I married. I wouldn't have been blessed with the children that God provided I would have never known the grandchildren that bring such joy into my life. I would have never secured so many wonderful friendships without forgiveness. I would have missed out on everything that makes life worth living. Without forgiveness that can only come from God through Jesus Christ, I would not be acceptable to him in any way. I would not be usable by him to do anything worthwhile for others. And most of all, I would not be worthy of spending eternity with him. And certainly, without forgiveness, I wouldn't be preaching a sermon today, here or anyplace else. It is all, all, because of the transforming power of forgiveness. So open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 38. David wrote this psalm, he understood very well the blessings of forgiveness because he, like me, needed them so much. Psalm 38. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. 
All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light is gone from my eyes. My friends and my companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Those who want to kill me set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they scheme and lie. I am like the deaf who cannot hear, like the mute who cannot speak. I have become like one who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my feet slip. For I am about to fall and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many have come before my enemies without cause. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil lodge accusations against me. Though I seek only to do what is good, Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly to help me, my Lord and my Savior. The greatest element in Christianity, the most powerful theme of all, in my opinion, is forgiveness. It's what we all need. It's what we so seldom see. It's what we need from others and for ourselves. It is what Milwaukee must have, what we need from God and from ourselves. Because, you see, David knew what it felt to have God as his condemning judge. But he also knew the joy and the relief of forgiveness. He wanted to teach us about it. That's why Psalm 38 is called a maskil, a a psalm of instruction. There are blessings from forgiveness, and they're tremendous. But before I list the blessings, I want to go and review how to receive them. How and why should we pursue forgiveness? And first, I want you to notice that David's heart groaned under the guilt of his sin. Now, this might be difficult for you to hear, but to know the blessings of forgiveness, we need to feel the burden of guilt. Long ago, there was a famous pastor in the 1990s, early in him, nationally known guy who had to resign. Let me tell you, I'll quote what he said to his congregation. Quote, Along the way, I have stepped over the line of acceptable behavior with some members of the congregation. I tried on my own to face unspecified childhood issues which had been involved in years of denial and faulty coping techniques, end quote. Wow. Psalm 38 is a little bit different. David does not say, how blessed is he whose unspecified childhood issues are forgiven and whose denial and faulty coping techniques are covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute stepping over the line of acceptable behavior. Because when you sin, you know it. So acknowledge it. Feel it. Contrary to popular belief, guilt is good. It's actually healthy. It's emotionally and spiritually healthy. Because those who appreciate forgiveness the most are those who feel guilt most deeply. Now today, if somebody feels guilty, we take them to a counselor. Something must be wrong. But God says no. He's dealing with David here. Look in verse 4. David says, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Are you feeling guilty this morning? 
Maybe no one else knows about your sin, but deep down you do. You're troubled. Don't shrug it off. Don't explain it away. Don't rationalize it. Let it drive you to the cross. God's limitless mercy is there. So before we get too far along this path, we need to consider something else, and it is this. To properly understand guilt, we have to properly understand sin. And that's why in Psalm 38 and in other Psalms, David uses at least four different words to describe sin. Then he uses three to describe forgiveness. So to help us understand what it means to have a clean conscience before God, let's review the words. The first of the four words for sin is in verse 3. The word here is, in English, sin, but in Greek it means miss the mark, falling short of what God intended for us. Now, the easiest way to understand this is to think about the Olympics that we've all been watching on television this week. Imagine me in the original Greek Olympics. I'm on the archery team. And I draw back my bow and I let it fly. And the arrow doesn't even make it halfway to the target. Now I get mad. You know, I, I seldom do that, but occasionally it happens. And I, I draw back the bow and I really draw back the bow. And I let it go and it still doesn't make it even halfway to the target. Now I'm ticked. And the, the crowd is laughing. So now I get to over and I run an arrow and I aim it as high as I can and I stretch and I strain and I let her go and it almost makes it halfway to the target. And the crowd is laughing at me. And they would say, and they would use this exact word, John is sinning. He's falling short. Do you have any idea how far short we fall? Of the glory of God. We fall so far short. I mean it's a vast expanse. It's almost beyond our imagination. Everything we try to do. Our every inclination and thought. Our every deed. Good in our eyes or bad. Is tremendously short. Of the glory of God. We don't have a chance to make it. Not a chance. And that is sin. It's almost like jumping in the Pacific Ocean. Hey, let's all swim to Hawaii. Well, some of us are better swimmers than others, but we'd all end up underwater. All of us fall short. That is sin. Second word, transgression, is a little different. This refers to rebellion. Refusing to submit or obey rightful authority. God set the limits. If we fight those limits... We disobey God's authority. Now this too, you think about it, it relates to everything. If we could only understand this, if we could only begin to, to comprehend the futility of even trying not to transgress God. The question we would face in eternity is this one. Did you do everything in obedience to the revealed word of God? Did you do it his way? Did you do it with his motives? A more realistic question would be, did you ever do anything at all God's way in complete obedience and with all the right motives? Unfortunately, in my opinion, for the best among us, probably not. So we're not doing so well here, are we? Third word, inequity. It means bent or twisted, a perversion of what is true. Anytime you said or did anything false, it was iniquity. 
This includes lying, of course, but it also includes all kinds of shading the truth, misinterpreting theology, false teaching of any kind, little white lies, big black lies. Now, I don't want us to let ourselves get off the hook easily here. Have you always told the complete and total truth? Was it always totally accurate? Or even more likely, were you limited, as we all are, by the knowledge you possessed at the time, so your truth was only to that extent? In other words, maybe what you said was not completely true, and you didn't even know it. Remember, God is perfect. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Fourth, last of David's words, deceit, deliberate cover-up, deliberate falsehood, hypocrisy. Presenting a false front. Trying to look good even when you're not good. We all do this. I wish we didn't, but we all do. Because if you can't be good, the least you can do is look good. So we make the best possible presentation we can. We project the best possible image. But it's not true. It's not the real us. It's not the way we really think or feel. And you know what? It may not even matter if what we say is true, because Charles Finney had a very devastating statement. He was challenging people to pray for revival, to repent, and he would say, even truth told with the intent to mislead is a lie. Are you getting the gist of this, these four words? Are you capturing the meaning? Do you see the bottom line? Apart from Christ, we are lost. We're not only not as good as we think we are, we are hopelessly worse than we think we are. Whoa. Okay. Calm down, Pastor John. There's three other words here. Good thing. David's got three other words for forgiveness. And the first of of course, is the English word we translate it into forgiveness. But it translates into something which refers to carrying off a burden. Taking it away. Our sin is a burden that God himself bears and takes away. Do you recall the Old Testament example of a scapegoat? Today we call a scapegoat somebody. We dump all the guilt on that thing, put them all away, and he's guilty. We all did it, but that's the guy. He, he was guilty. That refers to an Old Testament ritual when some poor goat was selected and they ceremonially dumped all the sin of all the people on this poor goat. And then the goat was sent away to wander off into the wilderness, literally carrying away the sins of all the people. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He carried our sins away. He was the perfect sacrifice. He carried our sins away once for all. And when you put your trust in what he did on the cross, your sins are gone. The second word for forgiveness is covered. That means literally out of sight. God puts our sins out of his sight completely. It will never become between him and us. If we're in Christ, our sins are covered. Now, sometimes when we think about forgiving someone ourselves, we say, well, we'll just forgive and forget. That, in my opinion, is nonsense. In fact, it's dangerous. First of all, you can't make yourself forget something. But what if you could literally forgive and forget? Think about it. You would fall for the same scam 
the same abuse, the same crime from the same person time and time and time again. You simply wouldn't remember the last time the same person took advantage of you in exactly the same way. You should forgive. But I'm telling you, you shouldn't forget. What you should do to the best of your ability is treat the other person as though the event had never occurred. Cover it. That's what God will do and has done when he covered your sin. Try your best to do that for the person who has sinned against you. And finally, the third word, not counted or not imputed. What that really means is it's not charged to your account. Anybody with an electronic funds access to their your account knows what this is talking about. It's just that he's, he's taking the sin out. Like having a debt debit card. Credit card debt's gone. Mortgage is gone. <laughs> Tire loan is gone. Think about it that way. It's better than that. Not only is the sin debt taken away and forever paid, but because of Christ, God not only withdraws all the sin from our account, but he deposits the righteousness of Christ in our account. Imagine that. In God's eyes, you as a Christian are as sinless and righteous as Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Now that's forgiveness. And that's why Christians should never get too far away from the cross. That's why I so appreciated the songs we sang this morning. That's why the Apostle Paul would only preach Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because the cross of Christ is sacred ground. It is our shelter from the storms of life. Dwight Moody used to tell stories about early wagon trains that came across the prairie heading west, and they would go across these wave upon wave of, of grass fields, tall grass, and the only, the only parting of the grass was the trail that the wagon train would go along. Imagine their horror when they came over a hill and they see a blazing prairie fire rushing at them. And they had heard stories about entire wagon trains. They found the remains charred and burned and the animals dead because they were caught in a monstrous prairie fire. Well, the leader, the wagon master, would ride immediately back to the back of the wagon train, take a torch and light a fire behind them. And the same wind that was pushing the prairie fire toward them would sweep this backward forest fire away from them behind. And then he would say, please, turn around quickly. Move into the scorched ground. And there they would go. And then the awful fire comes on them. Huge flames, terrible heat, thick smoke, mighty winds. And the children would be terrified. Cry out, are we safe? And the wagon master would say, yes, we're standing where the ground has already burned. Welcome to the foot of the cross. Christ took the fire of God's judgment. The ground at the cross is level. We've heard it all before. Anyone can go. Everyone is treated equal at the cross. It's level, but it's scorched. It's burned. We forget that the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were not only bloodied and the blood spread on the altar, they were burned. And at the cross... It means your sin has been consumed by the sacrifice 
of Jesus Christ. Now the blessings. Well, the first blessing is this. If you're forgiven, your heart is tender. God can instruct you. God can and will talk to you. You're more sensitive to him. If we confess our sins, he'll direct us. We'll have a tender conscience. He'll guide us toward righteousness. Is your conscience tender toward God? We're not supposed to go our own way. We're supposed to go God's way. Because if you truly understand forgiveness, you're not going to continue to sin. You'll go his way. And if you confess your sin, you will receive the limitless mercy of God. The judge of the universe will pound down his gavel and he will pronounce, Not guilty. You're free. Free from the weight of your sins. Free from the condemnation, even from your own conscience. Christ paid the penalty. You are totally, completely, and forever forgiven. And these are just some of the benefits, the blessings of forgiveness. A clear conscience before God. God is our refuge. God's instruction for our lives. God's joy in our hearts. Now that's the what of forgiveness. That's the what it is. Let's talk about the how of forgiveness. First, to be forgiven, you have to confess your sins to God. It's what I have to do with mine. If we don't, our hearts will harden. Now, don't miss the fact in Psalm 38 that God, that David confessed his sin directly to God. What did he say? Against you and you alone have I sinned in Psalm 51. He didn't confess to a priest. He didn't confess to his friends. Like, you know, like admitting he did something wrong, confiding in them. He didn't even confess to the person that he sinned against. He confessed to God. The sin was against God. Our sin, your sin, mine is against God. And that's who we have to go to to confess directly. It also means to acknowledge the sin. Both the Hebrew word and the Greek word convey the meaning of telling openly to God. Don't cover it up. He knows it all already. You're supposed to agree with him that sin is actually what it is. We call it sin. We don't explain it away as faulty coping mechanisms due to a dysfunctional family background or just human nature. We say, Lord, I sinned. And the sooner we confess it, the sooner the blessings will come. And I think we also need to see sin as serious. Because the closer you get to the Lord, the more serious you will see sin to be. Never forget that your sin and mine put Jesus Christ on the cross. Sin always does horrible damage. Think what it does to the name of Christ. Think of what it does to others in his body. Think of what it does to you personally. Think of the barriers that sin puts between us and God. Think of the barriers that sin puts between us and other people, even members of our own family. And finally, and then I mean it, this is incredibly important, you have to actually believe and accept and feel 
that the sin you confessed is actually forgiven. David always says to God, you forgave my guilt and my sin. No sin is too great to be forgiven. If you confess it, it's forgiven. If you truly confess it and you still feel guilty, it is not the Lord who is troubling you. It is the accuser of the brethren. It is Satan. And then I guess lastly, accept the responsibility for your sin. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Never use deceit. Never cover up. Always be open and honest. Because accepting responsibility, in my opinion, means you're willing to forsake the sin. It's worthless to confess sin if you're not willing to get it out of your life. You may not feel like forsaking it. You may need some biblical counseling to know how to forsake it. But if you haven't really confessed, you haven't really confessed unless you're trying to get rid of the sin. And one thing which is hard, accepting responsibility, also means confessing to those that you have wronged. Don't ignore this. Don't avoid it. It's not in this particular text, but it's biblical. If you sin against somebody else, first you confess it to God. But then you you go to the person. You confess your sin and ask for forgiveness. Then your conscience is clear before God. You can even make restitution if necessary. Now, let me, let me share something with you. I was a pastoral care pastor for many years, and I learned this. Forgiveness is for your benefit. When you forgive somebody, it's for you in addition to that. You can't control whether or not they accept it. You can't control whether or not they forgive you, that gave you the forgiveness that you asked for. But when you ask for it, you're free. You fulfilled your responsibility. You don't have to live in any, anymore in the past regretting what happened or wishing it didn't. It's for you. Do you, do you see this? Do you see that how, how terribly off we were in our sinful nature? Do you see how glorious and magnificent and limitless is the forgiveness that God offers? How essential it is, how powerful it is, how wonderful it is. I, I personally think that this is why Christianity is, is, first of all, better than any other religion. And that Christianity is not a religion at all. It's a relationship. Religion says, change or I will condemn you. All right, go ahead. Try to live that way. You're going to end up either superficial or very self-righteous. Christianity says... I have forgiven you and accepted you. Now respond to my love. Let me change your life. Live that way. And you will be righteous and humble at the same time. I think loving gratitude is one of the most powerful motivational factors in the world. We don't change in order to be accepted. We change because we've already been accepted. That is the transforming power of forgiveness. Now, I want you to actually experience what I'm talking about here. I want you to all please stand. Everybody. Bup, come on. Are you listening? All of you stand now, right where you are. And I want you to stand, if you can, not touching anyone else or anything else. Try not to even touch the chair in front of you or the seat behind you. Just stand there. And now bow your head.
close your eyes and imagine that you are all alone. Imagine now that your worst nightmare has come true. Everyone knows everything about you. Your every failure, your every weakness, every time you cheated, all the pains, the problems, everything else you caused. Now keep your eyes closed. None of us like to think about our failures. We certainly don't want anyone else to know about them. But now it's actually worse because now you're standing in front of Jesus Christ waiting, knowing that you are completely guilty. And suddenly you realize something really, really wonderful, that in the presence of Jesus, sin cannot remain. Either sin has to leave or you have to leave with it. And by pure grace, Jesus is separating your sins from you. Hear the blessed words, I do not condemn you, I love you, I forgive you. Hear that. Feel that. And now, open your eyes. You rose a sinner, but I tell you the truth as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as you take your seat in Christ, you are completely forgiven. Now, this wasn't some emotional trick. This was a personal encounter with the Son of God. If you worship him, if you are his, then in him you are totally forgiving. And knowing God's forgiveness is something different than ours. It's all-encompassing. It's eternal. It's finished. It's total. What the Old Testament sacrifices attempted to do and what the New Testament sacrifice of Christ accomplished completely was to completely separate us from our sin. I might have said this before, but I cannot get Psalm 103, verse 12 out of my mind. As far as east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I pondered that verse for years. I'm like a lot of preachers. I keep asking questions nobody else is asking. What I wanted to know is, why didn't God say as far as the north is from south? Why east from west? And I figured it out. God knew the earth is round. He created it. And even though men didn't know it at the time, he knew that earth rotates on its axis. And he knew, he knew, as we now all know, that if you go far enough north, eventually you reach the North Pole, and then no matter which direction you're going, you're going south. And it's the same way. Start going south. You come to Antarctica, but when you reach the South Pole, you're going north, no matter which way you go. But because of the Earth's rotation, if you start out east, no matter how far you go, you're always heading east. And if you're going west, no matter how far you walk, swim, ride, or fly, you will always be going west. The directions themselves never meet. And as far as east is from west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, in conclusion, all blessed words, in conclusion, I want to say something that is absolutely critical to being an effective Christian. Because without this, everything you've heard today is important, but somehow distant. But what you're going to hear now is absolutely vital. Okay, You must forgive yourself. The reality of your forgiveness is total. 
But the decision to be transformed by it is yours alone. Especially at night, Satan and his minions whisper in your ear, you're not good enough. You're a failure. You can't do it. You aren't lovable. You're all alone. You're ugly. But there's another voice. A still, small voice, like the one that spoke to Elijah. The still, small voice of God who whispers, I love you. Ever since Jesus shed his blood for you, I think you're beautiful. Believe me. I'm your father. I love you. Who are you going to believe? The father of lies or the father of truth? The evil voice that accuses or the blessed voice that reassures? The whisper in the darkness or the still small voice in the light? Your decision about that determines your destiny. And I urge you, I plead with you, Decide each moment that you will listen to God, the only God, and God alone. He alone provides the transforming power of forgiveness. Now let me conclude with a formula. I'm no mathematician, but this is my absolute favorite equation. Best one ever. One cross, three nails, four given. Let's pray. Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, I pray that today was the day. If there's someone here that hasn't forgiven themselves, I pray that they would realize that they're not God. You are, and you've forgiven. They take the place of God when they don't forgive themselves. And I pray that all of us would realize how free we are and how wonderful we are, and what liberty there are, there is in this salvation and the cross of Jesus Christ. Let us never, ever separate ourselves from that sacred ground. Lord, we thank you and praise you for giving these words to David. We thank you and praise you for giving these promises to us. We pray in Jesus' name and for your glory only. We to thank the worship team for leading us this morning. Thank you guys for everything you do and also for... Uh... And also for uh, Pastor John and the word that he shared with us this morning. I don't know about you, but I needed, I really needed to hear some of that myself. So thank you so much for that. A couple things quickly before um, we let you go. Um, next Sunday, a week from today, right after the service, I don't know if some of you will remember that last year we had the opportunity to help the staff at West Dallas Central assemble they're student binders, about 14 or 1,500 student binders. And um, quite a few of you were able to stay after the service and help out. And this week, they, this year, they actually gave us a week's notice <laughs> and didn't tell us that morning. So next Sunday, and by the way, I, I remember this so vividly because I remember John uh, leading us all with the staff at Central in a prayer for the school, which was so meaningful. And uh, it, they thought so too. I just was really impacted by that. So next Sunday after the service, uh, any of you who are able, uh, we're going to do our best to end the service right at 11 o'clock, and, and then we'll head over to the cafeteria and help the staff assemb- assemble those binders. Uh, last year, I think it took maybe an hour or so. So um, if you're able and willing to stay, we'd really appreciate it. I know that the principal, Van Duren, would really appreciate it and, and whatever teachers are there. 
and allows us to connect with the staff too. So um, something to consider. Also, um, we'd like you to be aware of the building. Just a quick update. There is a lot of you were there yesterday. A lot has been done. If you haven't been there in a while, things are really coming along. However, we have some really important target goals that we're trying to meet. And one of those is the drywall. We would really love to be able to get the drywall up in the building the first week in September. During the first week in September. For us to be able to do that, we really need to collaborate and get as many people as involved as we can over the next three weeks. And so we have some sign-up sheets, which I forgot to bring up with me. But we have some sign-up sheets posted in the back of the foyer area. And they have a bunch of specific jobs clearly listed out that you can see. And they're labeled easy, hard, medium. And specifically, you can sign up for a specific job to do. And anyone can be involved. Even if you are not a handy person like me, you can go and there will be something for you to do. So we're going to be there today, this afternoon. There's going to be a group there, uh, I believe, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, and Thursday night. There's going to be a crew there those three nights and then, of course, next weekend as well. So please, before you leave today, we'd really appreciate it if you would just take a minute and go back and check out that list. And uh, someone will be back there, too, just to help you if you have any questions. We'd really appreciate your help. Wouldn't it be awesome to get the drywall done early September? And if we, by the time, let me tell you something. When we get the drywall done, we'll pretty much know by that time the date that we'll be meeting in the building. It's, it's, a lot of it's contingent on the drywall. If we can get the drywall done, we should know, be able to say, hey, we're going to meet there our first Sunday on, I'd love to say October something. <laughs> that would be awesome. So, thank you for being here with us this morning. I'd like to leave you with a benediction this morning from Psalm chapter 51. So if you would bow your heads, please, and receive this word from one of the more famous Psalms. That we know. Psalm chapter 51. Beginning in verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Praise God. You are dismissed.